Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 122, my friends. How's everybody doing? We have a great interview today. I know there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. I really hope and strongly believe that today's interview is going to be very uplifting. We have an amazing guest named Lisa Fabriga, and I'm glad I asked her before the interview, well, how do we pronounce your names? I don't, I don't want to butcher people's names ever. <laughs> and uh, she, I thought it was Fabrega or something like that. She said, no, it's Fabriga. We got an accent on the first. So uh, lisafabriga.com, by the way, and it's F-A-B as in boy, R-E-G-A. Uh, she is a leadership coach. She helps uh, ambitious people really expand their capacity. And she talks in this uh, interview about six key areas. I'm not going to give it away here. You got to listen to the interview for all that. And uh, the meaning of capacity and how that's such an important thing in our lives as we progress and take steps towards our various goals and so on. Uh, we get to that next level and being able to expand our capacity. And boy, all kinds of great analogies, stories, and just an overall great conversation. Uh, came to us today from Santa Barbara. So we were talking a little bit about the fires and things going on in LA County and uh, those areas. Of course, she's in Santa Barbara County, but it's all <laughs> interconnected and the smoke uh, uh, doesn't discriminate on county lines. Uh, but in any case, uh, so many great things there. And as we jump into that interview, of course, I want to remind you of our uh, reminders and challenges up front. Of course, you are absolutely priceless. Don't ever forget that. I won't ever stop saying it. So you don't ever stop saying it. Uh, I challenge you to do some things things some people might call hokey, create some affirmations, including that you are priceless and uh, other things that just ring true to you uh, about you, your life, your goals, and your abilities to obtain them. Because our capacity to use this term Lisa uses so much uh, is truly far beyond, for the most part, what, what most of us people uh, give ourselves credit for. In other words, we underestimate our abilities and that priceless nature is there, which, which is part of what underscores uh, my point of you are priceless because of everything you can do and be in order to become that thing. No matter where you've been, what you've done, right or wrong in your life, uh, frankly, it doesn't matter quite so much. We don't need to live there. We can't. It's the past. There's nothing we can do other than learn from it, do our best to, if we need to fix something, fine, fix it. But at the same time, you can still have, do, or be uh, anything in your life. And of course, along with that, you're priceless. You are not alone. You are absolutely not alone. Again, I keep reiterating so many people are going through so many things right now and uh, do not feel down or alone in that uh, way or in that capacity, so to speak. You are absolutely not alone. And reach out. Uh, I always say reach out. Info at EmpowerHumans.com, at Empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, friends, family, neighbors, you are not alone. I've had some friends and people uh, close to me talking about some awful places they've been recently emotionally. And uh, it's important if you're not quite in that place, make yourself available to other people. We need to uplift, support, and sustain each other in this world. And uh, boy, I can't tell you the kind of world we can have. I, I see it. Uh, and I, I just know we can do these things and be these things for each other. So you are priceless. You are not alone. And of course, our challenge is study. Keep studying. Start studying. Uh, there's just something great about it. And everyone can find time to study because if nothing else, you can pick up some sort of audio book or even podcast and things like that while you're doing the dishes, while you're driving, going for a walk, you know, commuting to or from work or the doctor's office or whatever the case might be in your world. Study. Hey, maybe put that on while you're with your kids in the car and they can learn some things too and listen to whatever, Tony Robbins or <laughs> whatever that might be an uplifting sort of topic and message uh, for you and or your family in the process. 
of course, along with those challenges and can go hand in hand, of course, is make great moments. You can study with your kids or your loved ones uh, as part of making great moments together. Because when you learn together, there's a special bond that uh, can be obtained. And I just want to encourage each and every one of us to look at those relationships on a very probably at least daily basis and see what can I do to make this better? What can I do to uplift and support and express uh, love as a verb, not just a noun, that love is an action item uh, of all kinds of things we can do. And the beauty is there's so many options, so many resources and possibilities. So whether that's uh, having a little kid date uh, with your with your child or, uh, <laughs> and those don't have to be formal things. Like I've said recently, you can just take them on the errands. And a lot of times those are special special uh, moments that you get to just bond and have fun and get a little treat or something. So whatever it is, uh, study and also make great moments. These are pillars in our lives that will overshadow these mistakes. We're all going to have mistakes. We talk a lot about that in this interview too. Mistakes, failures. We talk a little bit about Babe Ruth and strikeouts and home runs. Uh, all kinds of things there. And the last challenge, of course, let's keep doing this podcast together. Uh, I can't say enough. Lisa Fabrega has so many great nuggets. And she works, by the way, with everyone from the auto shop owner around the corner to Academy Award nominees and uh, Nobel Prize candidates and all kinds of stuff. So she has a broad spectrum of both uh, clientele and experience. So listen intently. And without further ado, here we go with our interview with uh, Lisa Fabrega. We are so pleased to welcome today Lisa Fabrega, who is a leadership coach coming to us today from uh, Santa Barbara. We were just chatting a little bit about these fires going on. Um, How are you doing, Lisa? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. Great. Well, we're sandwiched, like I was telling you, between some fires right now in Las Vegas. And so it's smoky and then extra windy, which I don't know, may or may not help. But as of yesterday, it wasn't helping. So (laughs) Uh, (laughs) going through some cycles with all that. Um, So how long have you lived in Santa Barbara, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I actually live by Coastly. I live half the year in Santa Barbara and half the year in in Tampa, Florida. And um, oh. I've been living in the U.S. since I was 15 years old. Oh, where did you uh, come from before that? I grew up in Panama, the country oh, okay. of Panama. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, my my ex-wife is originally from Chile. I lived in Chile for a couple of years, but I've never been to Panama. What an interesting place. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I gorgeous. Mean, gorgeous yeah, beautiful and, of course, known for the canal and all that, but... Uh, yeah, very, and I've known some people in Central, who've been to and from Central America, but uh, interesting. So how was that transition coming from Panama? Do you have a big family or if you don't mind me asking some of these things? Yeah, sure. I have a very large family still half in Panama. Yeah. <laughs> um, my grandmother had seven children, so I've got, there's probably like 50 to 60 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren right now. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's a pretty big family on my dad's side, and then I have my family on my mom's side, which mostly lives in the U.S. Okay, okay. Well, now, was that a tough, I mean, I've heard, again, having known some immigrants and being married to one, in fact, <laughs> is that was that a tough as a young person? And, and speaking to people listening to this who may or may not be able to relate, uh, do you want to talk about that? I mean, you speak English very well. Did you speak English as a kid? Yeah, so my mom is American and my father is Panamanian. So we always spoke English and Spanish in the household. Um, And then it was tough and it wasn't tough in some ways. Um, It was tough in dealing with people's preconceived notions. So for example, when I got to high school, 
the uh, high school assumed that because I was coming from a developing country that my education was lagging. Mm. But I, so they put me, they made me repeat a grade, but then when they tested me, I was two years ahead on math and sciences and a bunch <laughs> of different topics. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of preconceived notions about how a pre-developing pre-devel- uh, country wouldn't have the education to match. And, it, and I was actually ahead of most American students. Well done. Um, and, and, you know, just some customs and things, but it wasn't too much of a shock in other ways because, you know, my mother is American and there's a large American presence in Panama because of the canal. And at that time, the bases were still there and the U.S. still had that territory in the canal of Panama. Um, and so I also got exposed to a lot of American customs and things. So there w- it was half shocking, half not shocking at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Um, And you were ahead, so that's great. Where did you come to first when you came to the U.S.? Florida. That's where my uh, mother grew up. And so my mother, just we all just moved to Florida to be close to her parents, essentially. Mm -hmm. Did you like Florida? I mean, it's a nice climate. I mean, we got hurricanes, but you got Disney World. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do like Florida. I just, there's not much, you know, in Tampa particularly, there's, it's not really my my scene, my kind of lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I like it. I have no hard feelings towards it, but I prefer, you know, to travel and hike and, you know, be doing other things. And when you have such high heat and humidity, it can be very hard to do such things as I get to do when I'm in California, for example. Right, right. No, that's true. I mean, these days might be tough with all the smoke and stuff, but hopefully we get that cleaned up and uh, I yeah. hate all this stuff going on. <laughs> 2020, what a, what a year. <laughs> I know. A year, a year where great capacity is needed. <laughs> yes, and let's talk about that. Um, I, I wonder, was there anything in your life, in your childhood, coming into adulthood, that, that really kind of pushed you this direction to do what you're doing now as far as, uh, you know, leadership coach and capacity? And, and we talk about what that means uh, for our audience. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's a really great question. I, I think my whole life kind of has led me to be a leadership coach in the realm of capacity expansion for leaders, because I grew up in Panama, as you know, and Panama became a dictatorship when I was there as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I got to see a lot of poor leadership. I got to see what happens when you don't have emotional capacity as a leader, and how you can turn into a dictator. Mm. I got to see just having the resilience to get through. So like for me, 2020 has not been as shocking to my system as it has been to a lot of, I think, Americans who are not, and I'm an American too, sure. but I think it's, it's been more shocking to people who haven't experienced loss of freedom in some ways, right? And yeah. I grew up in a country where you could get shot and killed if you dared even turn a nasty eye to the dictator. Or if you said anything, there was no freedom of speech. The The media was controlled. The media was only printing propaganda from the dictatorship. I had family friends who started an underground newspaper and, you know, there I would be going to school on the bus and the militia would pull the bus over and try to kidnap the child of one of the men who started the news later, newsletter, you know, things like that. And so wow. I got to see some pretty intense... Um, liberties taken away from us and experience that. And I got to experience having to have the capacity to continue to live your life and, 
and find joy amongst experiences like that, you know, being tear gassed on the way home from school and the, the tear gas got into oh the bus, you know, crazy things like that. So, you know, getting to see poor leadership, getting to see corruption, getting to see what happens when we don't have good internal management as leaders and how corrupt people can become, um, how um, liberties can be taken away, how to get through stressful circumstances and still find joy in your life and still show up how you want to show up as a leader. Those were all things that I think were the perfect breeding ground for me to understand growing up in that kind of a situation. And then, mm -hmm. you know, on a personal level, I, there was a lot, there were a lot of, you know, no family is perfect, of course. And mm -hmm. there were a lot of dynamics in my family growing up that I thought were pretty abusive. And I think it was because people had such low emotional capacity that they would just blow up over the tiniest, stupidest little thing. And there was very little patience. And I saw it even in my teachers at school, there was this culture of, um, you know, well, that's just how we discipline kids, you know, in, in ways that in the U.S. would be considered extremely abusive yeah. <laughs> and would be and are considered, were considered <laughs> normal back then in, in my country. Right. And I also got to learn a lot about having the capacity, again, to not treat people that way and to process your emotions, um, to process the stressors in your life so that you're not taking it out on people around you. And all those things, I think, feed into, you know, how we show up in our businesses, how we show up in our relationships, how we show up in terms of our impact on the world. All those things, I think, are important to shaping what I do today. Yeah, yeah, great, great uh, explanation. That's, uh, yeah, for most of us in the U.S. who grew up here, I mean, I had the privilege of being, at least in Chile and a few other countries in my life, like to go a lot of other places, but by and large in the U.S., I think we're very sheltered. Uh, we, we like yes. to think we're not, but we are. And I'm just here to say, because I'm an American and I can say it, and sorry, you know, but I think I can back this up too. Like, for example, uh, I w actually went to Chile and I was a missionary. And so I got a call, like a calling on paper and a letter that said, you're going to Chile. And I was like, I kind of had a rough idea, but I didn't, I didn't know. And maybe that's a reflection on me as a person, but it's also a reflection on our environment in the U.S. Because when I got to know people in Chile, they knew a lot of the rest of the world. They were learning, they were trying to learn English. They were, you know, trying to expand their horizons on a more global picture. And U.S., I'm sorry to say, uh, excellent country. Of course, you and your family must have come here for a reason. But at the same time, we're very... Uh, sheltered is is just, I guess, one adjective, but it's a lot of things. And uh, I think we need to just expand and, and recognize just how truly blessed <laughs> we are. We go through a time like 2020 and pandemic and this kind of stuff, maybe it gives us some perspective. But people, as you mentioned, suffer all over the world all the time in various ways, uh, more so generally than we do here. And we just kind of see a, a clip on the news and that, if that, you know, <laughs> and so anyway, I'm just commenting, but thank you for sharing all that. Um, I, now one thing I understand is you work with a lot, it's just so that our audience knows you're a person with a lot of credibility. And of course, without naming names, what, who are some of the people that you kind of work with or, you know, rough idea of some of the clients that, that you work with as, as a leadership coach? Cause you're not just, you know, working with the manager of McDonald's kind of thing. Not that that would be wrong either <laughs> because they're good people, but. <laughs> I, well, well, I, I think 
I think that's a great question because I actually work with everybody. You know, I've got programs that are starting at three seventy-five a month, and I have people in there who own auto body shops. Great. In that, in that, in that program, all the way to when I work more one-on-one, obviously because that's a higher-end offering. I tend to work with people who are, you know, Nobel Peace Prize organization candidates and Academy Award nominees, um, CEOs, um, board members. Um, things like that. So yeah. the, the gamut runs large. <laughs> right. Um, because I think capacity work is for everybody, whether you have never had your own business or are just starting a business or you are, you know, you own an auto body shop or you own a flower shop all the way to, you know, your Oprah. <laughs> yeah. I think capacity work is for all of us. Yeah. Well, you live in Oprah's neighborhood there in Santa Barbara. She lives up there, I think. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's my neighbor. She's my neighbor, actually. I I live five minutes from her. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I don't I know if you have kids. They go trick or treating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think trick or treating is available at her house. She's behind several large gates. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Uh, well, you know, put in a good word. I'd like to get Oprah on the podcast one of these days, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> we love having you on the podcast, too, as as more than just Oprah's neighbor. <laughs> but that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I lived in L.A., I kind of knew where some of the people lived, the celebrities. But um, anyway, cool. Uh, and thank you for explaining that. And that makes a lot of sense. And it's true what you said, too, about capacity is for everyone. And I love stuff like that because things that are universal for human beings is kind of my bread and butter uh, things that make me tick, so to speak, that I, <laughs> that uh, let's talk about capacity and, and maybe why that is something that applies to everybody. And, and what exactly, I mean, I think most of us know what the word capacity means in a nutshell, but in context of what you're doing, uh, what does it mean and how do we uh, expand that? Whether it's, whether we're just trying to be a parent and or a leader of a, company, small or large, or Oprah, or whatever, uh, what is yeah. capacity and how do we expand it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, capacity to me means your ability to hold, handle, and receive the next level of what you want. Okay. That's what I define capacity as. And I find that a lot of times we, especially those of us who are ambitious, because I work with ambitious people, um, whether you want to be ambitious as a mother or ambitious as a CEO, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, we're always growing. We're always evolving. We're always going to another level. We're always asking what, what's next, what, what's more. And we do that. And then we go and find the strategy for how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how we tend to tackle problems or tend to tackle. Where do I want to do? Where do I want to go next? What do I want to do next? But we forget to ask the crucial question of, do I have the capacity to handle that? We don't ask that question. We just ask, well, show me A, B, and C of how to get there. Mm -hmm. So we'll end up with a situation like, you know, if you want to speak of like sort of an everyday kind of problem that we hear about on the news a lot, when those lottery winners win like $200, $200 million, right? And then five years later, they're broke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's because they did not have the capacity to hold $200 million. <laughs> and so they had to spend it all to get back to what their bodies were and their nervous systems were used to, wow. which was to have not $200 million. <laughs> when we translate that to, you know, business talk, for example, because I work with a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, 
we'll have a situation where I worked with an entrepreneur once who in her first year of business, her business shot to over a million dollars in revenue, which is crazy. Yeah. Just the first year of business. Yep. She could not handle it. The, the pressure that came with that, the, the team that you have to have to sustain a million dollar business, the strain it puts on your marriage, um, all that growth that happens so fast, the emotional ability to handle more you know, nasty comments on your blogs and more people writing in because the more exposed you are, the more people have a problem with you. It's just how it goes. And yep. she had none of the foundations established to be able to handle that kind of growth on an emotional, mental, physical, and strategic level. And so within two years of that explosive million dollar year, she shut down her business, got a divorce from her husband, and was starting from scratch again because she didn't have the capacity to handle all of those amazing strategies that she used brought her. Wow. And so, so that's the, the question I always want to inject into everybody's life is before you or as you go towards that goal, are you also building your capacity to be able to manage and handle those big goals that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. That's a beautiful commentary on us as human beings too. Um, I, I see a lot of folks uh, sit back and probably including me sometimes when I've, you know, we daydream or something like whatever it is and everyone wants to be rich for the most part, uh, but don't quite understand what that means perhaps. Yeah. Um, and so there's a big difference between, maybe liking the idea of something and really being having the capacity to uh, to ob- obtain and then maintain <laughs> that level of whatever it is. Um, I, and, and I know you work a lot with, with women. Um, did you want to add to that, by the way? Uh, I just, uh, no, I, mean, I work with women and men. I tend to work, women tend to gravitate more towards me, but I have worked with, with many men. Oh, okay. Good. Well, so people a lot of times uh, in business and life in general, um, you know, I did another interview recently where someone was talking about you don't just have like a business life or personal life. You just have a life and all these things take your energy and add to your energy and so on and so on. What is it that happens that where people uh, might drain their, their power and their energy uh, in their lives and or maybe decrease their capacity <laughs> in, that, in that process? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, uh, in order to answer the question, what I have to kind of walk you through is the areas where we tend to drain our power, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we, we can call this a lot of different things. Some people call it, I'm doing too much emotional labor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, emotional labor, as we know, is sort of like the, the labor that you do for others that's unpaid. So within this arose actually from a feminist essay many years ago was about the, the emotional labor women do in their households and don't get recognized for or paid for, but it's sort of evolved into the business world too, because sometimes we're doing emotional labor for clients or for team members, instead of encouraging them to just look it up on their own, you know, or to not be so codependent on us. Um, But there's different areas of capacity that we need to explore to know where our power is being drained. Um, And so I have found in my work with people over the last 11 years that I've been doing this, that there are sort of six areas that we tend to struggle the most and where we tend to drain our power. And when I say drain our power, I'm talking about 
when you start to feel burned out, when you start to feel resentful, when you start to feel um, something you love, you don't love anymore, when you're hitting a plateau and no matter what you do, you can't get past a certain amount of revenue or in a relationship, you're hitting a plateau and you just can't get past that budding heads moment. Mm -hmm. Those are capacity issue moments. And so what I have found over the years is that it breaks down into six different areas. And the first area is money capacity. Money capacity. So if you're looking at what's draining me, because a lot of times people come to me and they go, I'm burned out. Maybe this means I need to change my business model, or maybe this means I need to do this or that. And when we dig deeper, it's, that's not what they need to do. And what happens is that we, when we start addressing the wrong symptom or the wrong issue, we end up spinning our wheels and throwing a lot of time, energy, and money at something that's not actually solving the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we can identify what capacity area is the one that's actually draining you, that's draining your power, that's draining your time and your energy, now we're actually talking about what we really need to be focusing on to fix the drainage. Yeah. So the first one is money capacity. I, I can walk you through them if you want. <laughs> Please. Yeah. I, I'd love sure. that. <laughs> Great. So the first one is money capacity and money capacity I define as your ability to earn, save and invest larger and larger amounts of money every year. So if you're listening to this right now, I would say score yourself on these and see where you stand. So from a one to a five in your ability to earn, save and invest larger and larger amounts of money every year, how are you doing? A lot of times we can get drained in the area of money capacity because we are, you know, just thinking of an example off the top of my head. um, We are saying that I had a client who wanted to start charge, who wanted to start charging $25,000 for her one-on-one coaching. And I think the most she'd ever charged was 10 at that point. And she kept trying to, like, she thought that in order to charge $25,000 for coaching with her, that she had to cram it full of stuff. (laughs) Mm. And I told her that's a money capacity issue because who says value means more things? Mm. Yeah. Sometimes less is more too, but (laughs) exactly. And like people aren't paying for all the things people are paying for the result that they want. Yeah. And so actually, if you gave it more space and you stopped cramming so many things into your program, you'd actually have better results because there's more space for things to unfold. There's not all this stuff being thrown at you. And so that was an example of a money capacity issue that she had, that she thought that more money equals more things. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. actually, in my experience, because, you know, I have had six figure programs that people pay me for to work with me one-on-one and Mm-hmm. To me, those clients are the least demanding. They require the least amount of effort. They also require the most amount of space. They don't want me to send them a million things. They're too busy. They just want to be able to get on the phone and talk things out with me. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's like a money capacity issue. And then we have visibility capacity, which by the way, along with one of the other capacities I'm going to mention is the most popular topic, hmm. visibility capacity. We have virtual retreats based on visibility capacity every quarter, and they always sell out the fastest. Um, And it's the thing that people talk to me about the most. And visibility capacity is your ability to be fully seen in your work and in your relationships and your life. Wow. There's a lot of aspects of ourselves that we hide because we're afraid that we're not going to be accepted. 
And do you understand how draining it is to have to be hiding all these little bits of yourself because you're worried about how you're going to be interpreted by somebody? Oh, yeah. It's really draining. It's like you're fighting against yourself constantly. Um, And, you know, and we'll misdiagnose it as a business model issue or whatever, where I don't have the right schedule. And no, it's that you're spending all of your energy trying to shape some image of who you are not instead of just being yourself, which is effortless and requires no energy. And so if you were to score yourself as you're listening on your visibility capacity from one to five, one being low, five being great, where are you on that spectrum? How are you showing up in terms of your, are you showing up fully? Am I getting to see all of you? And this issue can drain our power in so many ways because I see people who, for example, they cuss a lot. That's just their natural way of speaking. Mm -hmm. And then they don't in their marketing. But then when they get a client on the phone and they start cussing, the client is shocked. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I'm like, if you cuss a lot and you have no issue with cussing, then cuss in your marketing because then you turn off the people who get highly offended by your cussing and you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. offending somebody when you're on a call with them every two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. That's, that's one funny example. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I had a client, I had a client who had a business coaching business and she had all these really amazing intuitive skills that she was hiding. She thought it was embarrassing and that people would roll their eyes. And when we worked on her visibility capacity and she finally just said, like, I have these skills and I use them with my clients all the time. Her event that she used to like struggle to get 80 people for suddenly booked 250 tickets that year. Wow. So that's a power of, and then, and, and there was so much less, she told me it was so easy to plan the event and it was so easy to do because she was in her zone of genius and she was being fully seen. Hmm. So that's an example of visibility capacity. Um, and then we have purpose capacity, which is are like, is what you're building in the world actually aligned with your purpose? Or are you just building something because somebody told you that was the thing to do or the thing that makes money? Right. Hmm. Yeah. What are you, is, is what you're even the relationships, right? The relationships you're in, are they in line with your, your purpose in the world? That's the thing that could be draining you too. score yourself one to five on that one. Cause if you're not, that's draining to not be in your purpose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, True story. The next topic. Yeah. And the next capacity is embodiment. Embodiment is the combination of our physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental capacity. So the way I like to describe this real quickly is how thrown off do you get when people push back? If you write something online and somebody disagrees with you or says something nasty back, does that make you so emotionally thrown off that you stop writing? Are you so terrified of being judged that you hold back? Those are all embodiment capacity issues. And again, and look how draining that could be, be dealing mm. with that. It seems like we can deal with it in the moment, but it's sort of that saying death by paper cut, you know, Oh and yeah. enough paper cuts and you're bleeding all over the place. True story. Um, yep. Yeah. And then the last two are structural capacity mm-hmm. and the structures, the structural capacity is the structures that hold up hold us up the foundations that, that are the foundation that are holding us up to go to the next level. So your scheduling, if you have a business and you have a team, like your team, are they really being supportive? Then there's your home team, right? Like if you have a cleaning person that comes to your house and cleans your home, like, are they doing a good job or are you spending an hour after they leave cleaning up after them? Because that's draining too. That's draining of sure. your time. 
Are you asking your kids to pitch in and help out around the house? Are you asking your partner to pitch in so that you can focus on what you need to focus on? Those are all structural capacity issues. And then finally, we have boundary capacity. And that's a big topic too, um, because boundaries are, you know, they're hard because we're afraid people are gonna be upset when we set a boundary. Um, but we have to have clear boundaries because imagine how draining it is to constantly be having to set a boundary because you failed to set it in the beginning. Like it's better to set it in the beginning so that when you start the relationship with someone, they're aware of what the non-negotiables are Yeah. than having to get all the way into a relationship with someone, whether it's professional or romantic or personal. And now, like after all these behaviors have kicked in, having to set boundaries, it's very exhausting. Sure. But it's also the boundaries with ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about boundaries with ourselves a lot. We talk a lot about boundaries with other people. Mm-hmm. And so boundaries with ourselves um, involve, if we notice that we go down a rabbit hole of thought that's really negative, and there's, you know, we all have them, like we all have our own patterns, right? Mm-hmm. Setting better boundaries with ourselves means going, no, you're not doing that today. We don't have time to be drawn into this negative thinking pattern. I'm going to set that boundary with myself. Or, no, I'm not going to binge four hours of Netflix today. <laughs> I'm going to set that boundary with myself because I have some work to do that I've got to, to do, push my goals forward in my life. So those are the six capacities. And those are the six areas where I find people tend to drain their energy and their their power and burn themselves out the most. And those tend to be the secret culprits to people feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really fascinating. I, in fact, I'm taking notes. Everything you just said, I wrote it down uh, word for word, not exactly, but I got all the, the six areas, the money capacity, visibility, purpose, embodiment, structural and boundaries. And it seems like a lot of these go really hand in hand, if not all, I think everything's interrelated in our lives. Uh, things we might not think are <laughs> related and things, it seems like things like embodiment, especially might be related to visibility in a lot of ways. Uh, and I'm just yeah. kind of riffing here as I look at this, but uh, one thing you said that kind of uh, took me aback a little bit was you said you referred to this uh, person's zone of genius when she was planning her event. Um, do you want to kind of talk about the zone of genius and we can get back to these six areas if we need to, too, but <laughs> yeah. um, what, what exactly, uh, it just sounds like an appealing place for, I think most people would say, whatever that is, I want it. I want to be in the zone of genius. It'd be a cool ride at Disneyland or something, but it's probably a yeah. lot better and more than that. But what is the, the zone of genius? Yeah, the zone of genius is not a t- term that I coined. It's from Gay Hendricks and it's from his book, The Big Leap, which is a wonderful book. Um, cool. And he talks about the different zones. There's the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. And his theory, which I completely agree with, is that when you're in your zone of genius, things feel effortless and you can't believe you're getting paid to do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it feels. And when you're, and most people tend to get stuck in their zone of excellence. Interesting. So zone of excellence is that you're really good at it, but it still requires a little energy from you. And so like my client she was in her zone of excellence with her business coaching and she had sold out programs and people loved the programs, but it was taking a toll on her. She was starting, like she would run an event and she would need to take three days after the event to just 
rest because she was so drained and exhausted from running the event. If that happens, there's something going on. An event shouldn't make you feel that exhausted. Hmm. So if that happens, I immediately go, what's going on in your capacities? Because you either don't have the right structural capacity and the way you're structuring the event is draining you. So we got to change that or you don't have the right team to support you. So you're doing way more work than you should instead of just being able to show up and do your thing. Or there's a visibility issue um, in the case of my client where she was spending all this time teaching strategies when she actually wanted to be using her intuitive gifts to coach people during the event. The intuitive gifts was easy for her. Yeah. The strategy she could do and was good at it, but it still required effort. And that's why she was tired. And when, she, when we switched the event to primarily intuition focused and some strategy, she doesn't have to take any days off her events now. <laughs> She's right. co- it's, it's just flows out of her. It's something that comes to you naturally, easily. It's something you have mastery in. Um, it's something, you know, one of the questions that he asks in that book are, what's something you could do as a child that you could do for hours and hours and hours <laughs> and like lose track of time? Yeah. And that's what it feels like when you're in your zone of genius. And why not get paid well to be in that zone? Of course. Yeah. And, and rather than do what a lot of us get caught up at some points in our lives doing at least, which is things being and feeling forced where, oh, I've got to like force this thing out of me somehow of this, this event or this job or, or whatever the case might be. But uh, th- that's really, really interesting. And I appreciate that. The, the zone of genius, like some people I think use the term flow and others, there's all kinds of little terms people use, but uh, I think it's a place that to me, we all should strive for. And, and it's probably a place where we're more aligned with who we are in the context of, you know, the universe, not to sound too hokey, but in the context of just what we are and what we're supposed to contribute. Uh, yeah. It sounds that just what I'm interpreting from, from what you said. Uh, one of the things that I know that you talk a lot about too, is people um, kind of uh, stepping out of the spotlight, so to speak. And, uh, Let's talk about that for a second, if you don't mind. What does that mean? I mean, from a leadership standpoint, um, you're kind of in a spotlight regardless, just because this is the person where the buck stops in some area. Uh, and and then why we should or shouldn't be in the spotlight and or how to get back to the spotlight, so to speak. Um, I'm, can you give me a little more context for that question? Well, the, the context is... Uh, People who are visible people, uh, sometimes they'll step out of the spotlight. And you talked a little bit about this when we you mentioned the, the visibility area a few minutes ago. Um, so I'm just wondering, <laughs> as we talk about stepping in or out of the spotlight, I, what exactly does, does the spotlight mean? I, I guess it could differ from person to person where you talk about Academy Award nominees there's some obvious ways that they might be in the spotlight. Or if you're talking about the, the guy who's running an auto shop, what does that mean for him? <laughs> and or how, like, how do we, why does that happen? And how do we get back if we need to, to be in the spotlight? I know it's uh, <laughs> kind of a yeah, no, broad question, a, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I get it now. I think I know, I think I know what you're saying. Um, okay. I think that any time that we feel like, so stepping out of the spotlight can be two for two reasons. Number one, it's because we're just 
just taking a break and it's a healthy aligned break. Um, and I think that's normal. You know, I have two business owners that I'm working with this year who have very successful businesses and they went into this year thinking they were going to like double their revenue. And instead they realized that in order to double their revenue, they needed to take this year to completely restructure some things mm. and completely change how they see themselves so that they can show up for that doubling of the revenue. And so there are moments that I think it's very intelligent and it's a very smart idea to sort of step out of that and take a break and reassess and see where you want to go. And if you look at all of the leaders we admire, they've all had periods of doing that. Right. They've all had periods where they kind of stepped away for a moment and reassessed um, and then came back into it, refreshed, renewed, and with a, a deeper sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. But when people step out of the spotlight because they're burning out, because it feels like too much, because it feels like they can't handle it, that's a capacity issue. And so if that's why you're stepping out of the spotlight, not because it's a conscious aligned choice to do so, but because you feel like you can't handle it, then the first question you need to ask yourself is, what is really going on that's making me want to step away from here? Yeah. What area of capacity is being impacted? Because you can go in and fix that, and then you don't feel like stepping out of it anymore, and then you can keep showing up. But this is something that you constantly have to calibrate towards because there's always another level of your visibility, for example, right? So Mm -hmm. one year you're reaching 10,000 people. The next year you're reaching 100,000. After that, you're reaching a million, then 10 million, then 100 million, you know, however many people you're reaching, whatever your goals are, who you are has to shift at every next level of visibility. Right. You have to make certain adjustments. So for me, when I started my business, I could be readily available for questions and things. And I still actually like to reply to people, but because we reach so many more people now, um, I've had to be very smart with my boundaries and what I can and can't spend time on. And so, for example, you know, I have an assistant now that, that, that fields all emails and she doesn't send me nasty emails that we get. They're very rare, but you know, you gotta, you can't, nobody, not everybody in the world's going to like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she feels those things for me. And so in those, in those areas, as my visibility has increased, in some ways, my accessibility has decreased. Um, and my visibility in that area has decreased, but in a, that's a good thing <laughs> mm-hmm. in order for me to be able to hold more people and, and serve more people. I need to have some boundaries and place around how accessible and available I am. Otherwise, I'd spend all my time answering people's questions and I'd make no money um, and I wouldn't be able to serve my clients. So if you want to get back into the spotlight, that's what you need to ask yourself first is, why did I step out of the spotlight in the first place? Was it a healthy aligned decision to retool, reassess? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. And you just do that until you feel ready to come back in. But if you're stepping out because it feels like you can't handle it, then you've got to do that quiz that we just went through of war like score yourself in those capacity areas and go, what capacity issue is contributing to me feeling like I don't have the capacity to handle this spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And thank you for explaining that. Uh, I appreciate the, uh, the, the clarity and explanation and some of the context of, of that answer too, because um, I, I just think that's something that leader people in general, we live in a world where there's a there, we could all be in the spotlight in some way, 
you know, if I get it, went out today and filmed some, some crazy video, my video could have a billion views by tomorrow and that somehow I'd be in the spotlight to some extent. Uh, right. It's an interesting world we live in. Uh, but at the same time, from a leadership standpoint, I, I get what you're saying as well. Um, but we ought to embrace the time we live in that there's, there's so much capacity, so to speak, to, to have, do, and be anything. Um, it, right. I mean, it occurs to me too, as, as you're talking, uh, and I've thought a lot about this personally lately, that we're, we're creators as people. We're always, whether we like it or not, we're creating. Whether we're creating the life we want, the life we don't want, uh, outcomes we do or don't want, and so on. Um, and, and so it's, I think it's real important to hone in on key areas like you're talking about to, to really recognize and keep ourselves on course, just like you know, airplanes when they're flying, when you're flying from Santa Barbara or, you know, LAX or wherever to <laughs> Florida, they're making constant course corrections to get there. Cause if they didn't, they'd end up in, you know, Panama, which might be okay for you. <laughs> but uh, so it's, it's, these are just analogies, but we're creating, but we got to be on our toes to be making course corrections as we go. And that's, I think a lot of, from what I'm gleaning, what you're saying, that's a lot of the message here, I think. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And if it's you know, at every level of your growth, if it starts to not feel easy, if it starts to feel challenging, if it's, and challenging is normal, but if it starts to feel challenging or doesn't feel good, because there's good challenging and then there's the, this doesn't feel good challenging. Yes. And if it starts to not feel good, then that's a red flag that there's a capacity issue going on and you've got right. to step back and assess what is really causing that not good feeling. And that's going to happen. Like you said, every year, every level you go to, you know, there's no such thing as, well, now all my capacities are perfectly balanced. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> They absolutely. might be balanced for a few months, but the minute you hit your next level of revenue or impact or, you know, personal growth or whatever, they all get thrown off again because you're being asked, asked to expand that, those containers that you have inside of you. So, it's like that beautiful metaphor that, that Bishop T.D. Jakes made on um, Oprah's, um, one of Oprah's stages. He said, you know, he talks about pint people and gallon people. And if you're <laughs> a gallon person, why are you trying to waste time with pint people? Yeah. And I like to use the analogy for capacity, which is maybe this year you were a pint, but all the things that you did to grow yourself as a human, all the things you did to grow your work, your business, whatever it is that you're growing, now you have the capacity of a gallon and the challenges that come with having the capacity of a gallon are different than the challenges you have when you have the capacity of a pint. It's different types of situations that come up for you that didn't come up back then. So you have to go, Oh, now I can hold a gallon. Oh, how do I, what do I do now? <laughs> What's my next thing? Now I can hold 10 gallons. Mm. Now, how do I hold a hundred gallons and so on and so forth? Yeah, that's beautiful. I think of it in terms of, uh, you may have uh, read or listened to the book about the growth mindset. Um, and and I, I just, I'm thinking about this in terms of scarcity and abundance. Um, is there a tendency towards scarcity as human beings that we just, and if so, it seems maybe it's based in fear and maybe other things, but uh, instead of rising to the occasion, becoming this gallon person, so to speak, with your recent analogy uh, from Bishop Jakes, uh, <laughs> what, what is it about scarcity and abundance? Uh, I guess the real question is, how do we get to a place where we get to a flow of abundance where we're just like ready 
in the moment as we grow and as we get to that next level to then take on that capacity of that new gallon or 10 gallons, so to speak, in life. Uh, is there something or a set of habits maybe that we can do as people to, to kind of maintain that process and, and avoid getting derailed as often as, you know, sometimes we do as people, that's okay. But is there's like a set of habits you might prescribe to, to be ready to, for the more growth and abundance mindset, so to speak? Um, yes and no. <laughs> okay. I think like, I want I kind of want to like rewind a little your question because I think it's such a good question and it has so many layers in a response. Yes. <laughs> I think first we have to acknowledge that it's normal to get off track. Like I have clients ask me all the time, well, how do I not get off track? I'm like, good luck with that. That's never going to happen. <laughs> and anybody who tells you they have a formula to never get off track is lying around the other direction. <laughs> that is not true. Okay. So part of it becomes accepting that it is a normal part of growth to get off track. You know, I have been working out strenuously for two years. I'm training for a powerlifting competition. Wow. I work out six days a week. And there are weeks where, you know, I, I do a workout with my trainer and then I do cardio right after. So it's, you know, it's a good hour and a half to two hours of, of working out every day. And there are weeks where I just don't want to do that. <laughs> like there are some weeks where my body is tired. And so I don't, I maybe work out an hour a day instead of two hours. There are some weeks where I take all my supplements perfectly. And then there are some days that I forget to take them. If we yeah. focus so much on beating ourselves up for not being perfect, we're missing the whole point. Because the point is just part of having capacity is coming to expect that falling off track is just part of the process and accepting it and loving yourself through it. And if you don't make it a big deal, you actually don't stay off track for long. So right. for me, I'll be like this week, I'm not going to exercise two hours a day. And I notice that when I give myself that kindness and that loving kindness towards myself, mm -hmm. you know, within a few days, I'm back to my two hours because I'm not putting that pressure and adding to the pile by beating myself up for it. So I want to say that like to get that out of the way, start instead of trying to fight falling off the wagon, start accepting that falling off the wagon is part of your process. Yeah. What a, yeah, go ahead. Great point. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I just, uh, if you have more to add, that's great too. I just, I love what you just said that, that yeah. and it's so real and raw and transparent is like, and I've talked about this recently in the podcast and stuff too, that we're always like hide, like you mentioned earlier about hiding ourselves and our, our, our visibility area, so to speak. And, and just facing that reality that yes, we will, uh, get derailed or off track or whatever in the process, but almost almost inviting, welcoming, and embracing that that's going to happen because that's that's actually part of the path towards success. Just as you know, I might drive from here to Santa Barbara and I've got lots of twists, turns, ups, and downs to get there, <laughs> but I can get there. Uh, so yes. it's it's some areas of that road may be more or less pleasant, but it's all on the path to that you know destination, so to speak. Um, so 100%. yeah, I really love that you said that because it makes me think of something else, which is that part of the reason why we want to just, instead of fight against falling off the wagon and such just accept that, oh, that's just actually part of the process. And that, that means you are moving forward. If you do fall off the wagon, like when, a, when a client falls off the wagon or when a client is struggling, I say, congratulations, you're progressing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what? It feels like I'm stuck and I'm not progressing. I'm like, 
this is a sign of progress because you've hit a new wall that you didn't hit before, which means you've expanded because now you're hitting a new wall. And what I've noticed about that is those are the moments, the ones that we want to make go away quickly and think are signs of failure, but it's actually in those times where we get derailed that we actually learn the most about ourselves if we aren't beating ourselves up for it. If I'm not beating myself up for it, I just, and I'm being compassionate about, for example, I don't want to work out two hours a day this week. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to do that because as I'm tuning into my body, I actually feel tired and like I need to get some more electrolytes. And then I learn about myself that I need to add more electrolytes if I want to keep up that pace. Whereas if I was like, you suck, I can't believe you just got off track, get back on the bike, go, go, go. I wouldn't have that moment of pause to go, oh, my body needs more electrolytes. Yeah. And so that's another part of just accepting that we go off track is going off track means you're having an opportunity to learn something about yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Great. Uh, great point. I, and I think to some of the people who've done great things that, you know, at least you and I probably won't do like, like Babe Ruth, you know, was the home run king for decades uh, beyond his death even. And, uh, but also many don't know he was also, aside from having top numbers of home runs, he also had uh, at least five years where he had the record for strikeouts. And that's something that I think that we need to remember. We might not all be trying to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but whatever quote-unquote Hall of Fame or thing we're trying to do with our lives, it's okay to have the record for strikeouts in the process, and that's actually a good thing. You know, we have tons of stories. The Thomas Edison, the light bulb, and a thousand failures to get the light bulb kind of stories. Uh, And he learned a thousand ways not to do it. But persevering through those things, you learn things not to do. You you keep adjusting your boundaries these course corrections like the airplane we talked about and little by little you're getting where you need to go and really i know these are kind of cliche things to be bringing up but there's a reason they're cliche and people say them a lot because there's so much truth there and and then finding joy in that journey even more so than the destination like oh okay i I failed at something maybe there's a little pain emotional pain whatever associated with it and then quickly jumping to reframing what do I learn from this? Like we don't ever lose in life. We either win or we learn. And that's uh, kind of, that's my, uh, my preaching for the day. <laughs> but thank you for, for sharing all that. Um, what, what final thoughts? I know you've got, you know, places to go and things and love to chat with you for hours and hours, but we'll reconvene maybe down the road. What final thoughts do we have for our audience and people looking to, and maybe where can they find you? I know you've got lisafabriga.com. Uh, but tell me <laughs> the final thoughts here. I would, what I'd like to leave everybody with is that a lot of things that you think are personal defects or impossible equations that you can't solve, whether it be in your business, in your career, with your relationships in life, they often boil down to a capacity issue. And it's not about finding the right hack to get through it. It's not even about you know, like step one through five, if you do this every day, it'll be better. Um, It's really about examining the deeper issue, which is the capacity issue you have. So why don't I have the capacity to find a solution to this problem? Why? Because when you address the capacity, then you will actually build the capacity so that when you encounter that problem again, you can handle it like a boss. Like there's you can navigate it easily because you've built the capacity to handle it. 
versus when we're obsessed with strategies and tactics and hacks and, you know, these superficial level, like step one through five things, it's kind of like it gives us a band-aid to solve it temporarily, but it doesn't address the deeper issue that's causing the problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to encourage you as you're listening is it's okay to have these little things to help in our daily lives. But what we really have to do is the deeper work of understanding why we don't have the capacity to be able to deal with those things effortlessly or why the capacity issues we have are actually creating more of those problems is when we solve the capacity issue, the problem doesn't keep popping up. So yeah. I just want you to, I want to leave you with that to just throughout your day, think I keep having this problem. Is it really that I don't know how to ask for what I want or, or is it really that I don't have the right strategy or is it that the true issue is that maybe I need to build more capacity to handle this? So a lot yeah. of times people yeah. will like get a job promotion. Oh, I can't handle it. It's too much. Is it too much? Or do you just need to build your capacity to be able to handle it? Great points. Uh, goodness gracious. I can't thank you enough for all the, uh, excellent, you know, priceless chunks of <laughs> wisdom you shared with us today. And uh, again, people can find you at Lisa Fabrega, that's L-I-S-A-F-A-B, as in boy, R-E-G-A.com. Of course, you're on, you're on yeah. uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everyone can find you there. We'll link all this stuff up in the show notes. So everyone can yeah. just quickly uh, jump to all those things. And, and uh, I wanted to, and I, I just wanted to share that anybody listening, if you want to um, learn more about capacity. I have a set of free videos on my website. When you go to lisafabrica.com and you just enter your email to get on my newsletter, you will automatically start getting a series of videos called the capacity conversations. And it walks you through each one of the capacities. It helps you understand what, where your capacity issue might lie and what you can begin to do to resolve that capacity issue. And that's yeah. all free. Beautiful. Nothing better than free. You go apply those things and uh, sounds like uh, some excellent material there. Well, thank you, Lisa. Uh, really uh, great having you on the show. Very fascinating conversation. And uh, go again, go to all those places and check her out. Check out the show notes. And of course, go tell our, our neighbor, Oprah, hello. And, <laughs> and uh, we'll be in touch. Hopefully, we can maybe do a sequel down the road. But again, for our audience, thank you for, yeah, thank you for spending time with us. We're flattered as always. And uh, until next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.